Good morning. I, too, would like to welcome everyone out to the services this morning, especially like to welcome our visitors we have. We appreciate you being here with us today. As you can see, we have a number of our uh, members are, are gone this week. I guess there's a, now a fall break in school, so we've got a number of folks out of town. Of course, we've also been battling a stomach bug around the family this week, so this has not been a real pleasant week for some of us. But uh, hopefully everybody's getting back on track. You know, an infamous Chinese general, Sun Tzu, once wrote, Know the enemy and know yourself. In a hundred battles, you will never be defeated. When you are ignorant of the enemy but know yourself, your chances of winning or losing are equal. If ignorant both of your enemy and of yourself, you're sure to be defeated in every battle. Since September 11, 2001, there have been countless intelligence officers all over the world with one mission and one mission only, and that's to know the enemy. In order to fight the enemy, in order to win, You've got to know your enemy. You have to know his goals, his desires, his abilities, and what he's capable of. You've got to know his M.O. What is the enemy willing to do to achieve his goal? We would use a technique called victimology when we're trying to solve a murder. And basically what that means is, is getting to know the victim better than anybody else does. You know, for, for example, I know Greg a certain way. Brent knows Greg another way. Kim obviously knows Greg another way. And his kids know him another way. Well, the goal is to talk to all those people, and I want to get to know Greg better than all of them. And that's what the investigator attempts to do. This technique is used with intel officers when getting to know the enemy. You want to know that enemy better than anyone else. Because without it, he can never be defeated. I know what you're thinking. Wait, wait a second, I ain't got no enemies. You know, and I'm sure I'm not going to war. I don't have an enemy. Brethren, as a child of God and as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the greatest enemy of all. And whether you want to acknowledge it or not, you are at war. 1 Peter 5 and 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. I've had the opportunity to study privately with a number of, of you, and, and I think at times I kind of catch people off guard because I don't think we really think about it a whole lot. But I want you to consider something this morning. If you believe in God, which I know everyone here does, if you believe that there is a heaven, which I know that you do, if you believe that angels are ministering to you each and every day, which I know you believe that, then, brothers and sisters, you have to believe and you have to acknowledge there is a devil. There is a horrible place filled with everlasting torment known as hell. And, brethren, just as much as you believe and know that your God is there with you and to strengthen you, the devil is there too. And he desires nothing more than to take you away from your heavenly Father. That is Satan's desire. And that is your enemy. The question is, what are you going to do about it? October the 27th, 1964, Ronald Reagan delivered a speech that is now called A Time for Choosing. And in this speech, he made the following statement. We are at war with the most dangerous enemy that has ever faced mankind in his long climb from the swamp to the stars. And it has been said if we lose that war, and in doing so, the way of freedom of ours, 
history will record with the greatest astonishment that those who had the most to lose did the least to prevent its happening. Again, I realize uh, Ronald Reagan wasn't president at the time. I realize he was speaking of the nation. But I can't help but apply this to me and to the enemy and the adversary that I face today in my spiritual warfare. We are at war with the most dangerous enemy. Is there a more dangerous enemy than the devil? When you think of the dangers of an enemy, you have to consider the consequences of losing the battle. Are there any greater consequences than losing a spiritual battle? There are no greater consequences than allowing the devil to get his way. If the war is lost, history will record with the greatest astonishment that those who had the most to lose did the least to prevent its happening. Is there a greater loss? Your eternal salvation is at stake. What are you going to do to protect it? I wonder when someday we stand before our God and that unbeliever steps forward and he says, depart from my presence. I wonder what the thoughts come to mind. I wonder as God and his son are sitting on high on that judgment seat, if they wonder the same thought, do they sit in astonishment and think, what were you thinking? You had the most to lose and you did nothing to prevent its happening. There is no greater consequence and there is no greater enemy. Hang on just a second, son. I, I, I know in, in John 10 and 28 it says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Brother, I want you to understand something this morning. The devil himself cannot pluck you out of the hand of the loving arms of your heavenly Father. But brothers and sisters, let me tell you this. You can choose to step out of them. You can choose to walk away from them. And that's the devil doing his work. You see, we have to stop looking at Satan and, and thinking of some fairy tale red creature with a long tail and a pitchfork. The devil is not a cartoon character. He is not mythical. He is real, and brethren, he is a worthy foe. He is not a joke. And he will win you over if you allow him. I think we as Christians think about the devil at times, but... You know, as Christians, we, we kind of disassociate ourselves with him. We set him aside and we kind of pretend like he doesn't exist. You know, we go to church. <laughs> Brother, he does exist. And he is working right now. He is doing everything in his power to make you stumble. Son, I'm a, you know, I'm a Christian. <laughs> Folks, do you think the devil spends night and day working on the non-believing atheist, the rapist, the murderer, whatever horrible person you want to throw out there? Those people that are supporting the killing of babies in the womb, you think he does anything about that? Or you think he just sits back and smiles over his conquered foe? Brethren, his focus is you. As a child of God, you are his greatest conquest. And he takes you serious. The question I have for you this morning, do you take him serious? Do you know your enemy? Because he knows you and he wants you. Who is the devil? Again, he's our enemy. He's our adversary. Matter of fact, the Hebrew word for Satan is not just adversary. The Hebrew word is the adversary. 
meaning he is the greatest adversary, the greatest enemy. And I pray we all always remember he is exactly that. Revelations 12 and 7, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out in the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. The first thing that we must recognize is Satan was in heaven with your God. He was a heavenly being. We know that all those in heaven worship God. Isaiah 6 and 3, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Nehemiah 9 and 6, Thou, even thou art Lord alone, thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, and with all their hosts, the earth, and all the things that are therein, the seas, and all that is in therein, and thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. Satan, your enemy, was in the presence of God, was in the presence of your Creator, and worshipped him before his demise. Isaiah 14 and 12 is... Speaking of a king, but he's also speaking of Satan here. It's called prophetic dualism. Zoe looked up just then. He was impressed. It wasn't me. Ethan found that for me. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, the son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which disweakened the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Ezekiel 28, starting in verse 13. Thou hast been in the Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was I covering. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the, the carbuncle, and gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets and of the pipes was prepared in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointing cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou wast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub. From the midst of the stones of fire, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted the wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Satan was not just another angel. He was something special at one time. He's described as bright and beautiful. He's called a covering cherub. I read where some believe that that refers to the cherubs who sat above the mercy seat of God. Brother, your enemy at one time was perfect in his ways. I ask you this morning, what are his ways now? And how good is he at those? And that's your enemy. We have to understand that we're fighting this spiritual warfare on his home turf. Ephesians 2 and 2 refers to Satan as the prince of power of the air. Jesus calls Satan the prince of the world in John chapters 12, 14, and 16. 
2 Corinthians 4 and 4 we read, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine unto them. Please understand, God is all-powerful, but Satan does have certain abilities here on this earth. And he's allowed to roam and do his work, but to whom? St. Corinthians again, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. There's further proof of his ability or even limited authority, if you will, here on earth, if you look at the, the temptation of Christ and what he was offered. Matthew chapter 4 and 8, Again, the devil taketh him unto the exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto them, all these things will I give thee. Brother, you can't give something that's not yours. All these things I will give thee. Prince of the air, prince of the world, God of the world. What else? Again, referring back to Isaiah and Ezekiel, I will ascend, I will exalt, I will be like the Most High. Thy heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Satan's very prideful. Satan is cunning. He's fierce. And he is cruel. And he's hunting us. 1 Peter 5 and 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. We know that Satan was in the Garden of Eden, and he was deceitful. Ephesians 6 and 11, Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He was subtle in the garden, 2 Corinthians 11 and 3. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. John 8 and 44. Ye are your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. A liar and a murderer. That is your enemy. And exactly what does he want? Again, you have to go back to why Satan started a war in heaven to begin with. It was the same sin that he tempted Adam with in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 2. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Satan tempted Eve with the same sin that caused his demise, the desire to be like God. This again is further revealed in the temptation of Christ. It shows his desire. Again, the devil taketh him up to the exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and said unto them, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Brother, I want you to think about that for a moment. Try to wrap your mind around that this morning. Your enemy, Satan, he wants you to fall to your face and worship him. He wants and desires with every bit of his being to be your God and to be your master. He wants you to turn away from your God and go to him. And that's your enemy. 
He wants absolute authority and control over you. Now, Sean, hold on. Wait a second. There's no way that I would ever kneel to Satan. I would never worship him. Really? Brothers and sisters, when you place something ahead of your God, you just fell down at the foot of Satan. When you choose to go against the will of God, you are lying at Satan's feet. And when you choose evil over good, you are worshiping the creator of sin. When you lie, that's a, that is of him, the creator of lies, I will give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. I never. Yeah, we would. At times. And we do. Let me make sure I made this clear. Unbelievers, if you love me, keep my commandments. Those that refuse to do the will of God are doing the will of Satan. So who are you worshiping? Which master do you serve? Romans 6 and 16 Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Whom do you serve? And who do you worship? Brother, we got to get off our face and get back in the fight. We are at war not with an enemy, but the enemy. Not with an adversary, but the adversary. And we have something far more priceless at stake than, than land or possessions or money or even the freedoms that we enjoy in this country. Our souls and our eternal salvation is what we are fighting for. History will record with the greatest astonishment that those who had the most to lose did the least to prevent it from happening. Is that us? What are we doing in this fight? Obviously, the creator of evil, of sin, needs us to sin in order to have any chance of getting this. Remember 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. His only chance, the only way that he can gain a stronghold or gain any ground is to cause you to stumble. Again, this is where... People start to think of Satan as some type of mystical being or even a make-believe character. And they don't give him the credit for his evil ways. Make no doubt about it, Satan is present when you are tempted. Satan is present when you sin. Forty days of fasting in the wilderness, Satan was there with Jesus. In the holy city, sitting on the pinnacle of the temple, Satan was there. On the high mountain to see all those kingdoms, Satan was there. Brethren, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as your Lord and Savior was in absolute anguish and fear, Satan was there. And during those times, the Scripture does not describe our Savior as blowing it off or laughing at Satan's attempts. The Scripture does not say that Jesus just kept on about his business. Jesus was tempted. In the Garden, he suffered. And brothers and sisters, Satan is there each and every time just waiting to pounce on us in our vulnerabilities. And that is your enemy. He works very hard and he is very good at what he does. The same being that tempted our Lord and Savior comes after us. And we look at him as he's a joke. 
or a cartoon character. And we've got to get out of this mindset. We know our enemy's ways, but how does he directly tempt us? How does he start this process? How does he fire the first shot in this battle? And that's really what's scary to me. He uses the things within me as a weapon. He uses the thoughts of my mind and my heart. And it starts in the mind, again in 2 Corinthians 11 and 3, But I fear, lest by any means, as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Romans 8 and 5, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. 1 Corinthians 3 and 18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and ye are Christ and Christ is God's. Satan starts in your mind. He is the one that is telling you things that is causing you to have evil thoughts, making you think of that next big promotion at work that's going to take you away from God, take you away from your family here. He is standing at the coffee pot with you in the morning when all the guys are bad-mouthing their wives. And he's telling you, man, it ain't worth it. Satan is the one speaking to you saying, God would not want you to live this way. He would want you to be happy. He wouldn't want you living unhappy. Go ahead, just leave them. Get that divorce. God would understand given the situation. Brothers and sisters, Satan is a liar. And he is the father of it. You think he won't lie about your God? He does that each and every day. A loving God would never condemn anyone. Do as you please. It really don't matter how you worship. You know, it doesn't matter if you go to church or not because God doesn't really care about those things. Matter of fact, you can worship him watching the football game this afternoon or on your fishing boat. He puts in your mind that that watching and looking at pornography just a few times, you know, that's a victimless sin. That's not going to hurt anybody. Puts in your mind, it's just a little sin. It's not a big sin like old brother so-and-so did last week I heard about. I might be doing all these things, but at least I'm not that bad. Your mind is where it all begins, and your enemy knows that. If he can just get that small thought in there, he has a chance. Anyone that has been in this congregation any length of time will remember my dad speaking on 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. He loves studying and preaching on that, that chapter. I cannot tell you the number of times I studied that with him, diving into every single word, discussing the meaning and the application, which is the first commandment of all. Love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And second, love your neighbor. If we could just love, everything else would fall into place. That's what we always say. Is it a coincidence that part of love is not thinking evil? Sin starting in your mind as a thought. How many times 
Have you thought evil of one of your brethren or sisters here? How many times have you thought evil of your spouse? Be honest with yourself. Folks, you need to understand that is your enemy working in you. Do not take him for granted. Recognize this for what it is. You are at war. He is in your head putting those thoughts in there. He is a deceitful liar, a manipulator that is intentionally trying to drive you away from God because that is the only way he can get you to fall down and worship him. How many marriages have failed because of this? Countless. And the prince of the world loves divorce statistics. You know what really bothers me? And my wife does not like me to word it this way, but I've got no other way. Maybe I should try something different. But anyways, here it goes. It is very aggravating to me. This is where she sounds, says I sound a little arrogant, and I don't mean to. But it is very aggravating to think Satan is working on me. I really do. I get upset, and I get mad. I tell myself, why does he think I'm weak enough to fall for that? Of all the people in the world, Satan thinks I'm weak. I get mad. It's insulting. I don't know. Maybe Lori's right. Maybe I need to take a different mindset. But one thing is for sure, I recognize my enemy. And I understand the game that he is playing and the tactics of his war. Brothers and sisters, the absolute worst thing that you can do in this spiritual war is to deny or fail to acknowledge that you are in one. A philosopher once stated the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. He's a liar. Acknowledge his existence, recognize his ways, and understand that you're in war. Once we acknowledge him in this war and we understand he will first attack our mind, our thoughts, we have to come up with a tactic to defend ourselves, our soul. We're given some guidance in Philippians 4. You want to push out those thoughts. You want to get those out of your head. You've got to put something in there. You want to remove sin before Satan plants it in your head. This is it. Basically, that's what Philippians 4 says. It says, fill your mind and your heart with this, and there will be no room for Satan to put anything else in there. Starting in verse 7, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good rapport, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise. Think on these things. Other translations say guard your hearts and mind as in a military stronghold. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. In the moments where they are not guarded, the peace of God is lacking. Whatsoever things are true. might be hard to think about that sometimes. But brother, what do we know is true? True yesterday, true today, and true tomorrow. The word of God is true. God is the God of truth, just like Satan is the father of lies. John 14 and 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the truth. When we start thinking about some of these things, we can think about Jesus. 
We can push out those lies of our enemy by putting Jesus in there. When we get up in the morning and we look ourselves in the mirror and we start seeing these things and thinking these things, you put Jesus in there. I'm going to have a better relationship with Jesus today than I did yesterday. When the Word of God is more important to me than the rumors at the coffee pot, that is when His peace guards my heart and my mind. I don't know if anyone here has any experience with banking. We, uh, we seized a large amount of money years ago, and I watched as these bankers bank tellers were, were going through this thing and, and I got to ask them. Basically, they don't train to spot all the different kind of counterfeit bills that you can grab hold of. They can't. There's, there's too many different counterfeits out there. They train over and over and over again what a real dollar feels like. So when a bad one comes across, it's easy to spot. They don't have to know all the different counterfeits because they know the real thing. Brother Satan is the creator of lies and has an unlimited number of lies that he can use on you. But if you know the truth, you will recognize that for what it is. It's a counterfeit. A deceitful tool he's using against you. God says in order to put peace and protect yourself from those things, know the truth and think on that. Whatsoever are honest, meaning noble or honorable or morally excellent. When we are thinking of noble and honorable, we must again turn to the truth. Turn to the life of your Lord and Savior. See His example. Think on these things. Whatsoever things are just, upright, righteous, virtuous, keeping the commands of God, think on these things. Again, I think of my Lord and Savior. Think on Him. Whatsoever things are pure, brethren, it is very easy to see the impurity in today's society. Again, is there anything more pure than the Word of God? Is there anyone more pure than your Lord and Savior? And I will tell you how I apply this practically to me. It's very simple. You're having a problem. Put Jesus in it. I don't get it. Very simple. You're having this pornography problem. About as impure as that can get. This problem is destroying your marriage, which it eventually will, by the way. Recognize it for what it is. It is a sin. It is a sin that hung your Savior on the cross. And due to His sacrifice, you as a child of God will be pure again. Whatsoever things are pure. Brother, my Savior is pure, and because of Him, so am I. Think on that. Whatsoever things are lovely or acceptable and pleasing. When I think of things being lovely, acceptable, and pleasing, again, I think of God. I think of Jesus. I think of His creation, including myself. I think of how awesome He is, how wise He is. And I think on those things. I want you to know something this morning. Your God loves you. He created you perfect in His eyes. Brothers and sisters, think on that. Think on the fact that you are acceptable to an almighty God and you are lovely in His eyes. When you choose to obey Him and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that pleases the I Am. Think on that. 
Paul finishes with, Whatsoever things are of good rapport, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise. Think on these things. You know what he's saying here? If you want to remove all these evil thoughts that Satan is planting in your head, you cannot do it. There's too many that he can come up with. What we have to do is fill our minds with God. If there be any virtue, if there be anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Brethren, at your darkest moment, when sin is filling your mind and attacking your heart, think on Jesus. Think about what he did for you. Think about how he suffered and died for you. Think about a God that comes up with a plan of salvation. Think about a God that loves you enough to do those things. Think about a God who knows the numbers of hairs on your head, knows your sins, and loves you despite of them. Give Him the glory and give Him the praise and think on those. I read where a professor held up a glass in front of his students and asked how he could remove all the air from the, cla uh, the glass. One of the students said, well, you create this vacuum and it'll get all the air out of it, but it would also damage the glass. He finally reached for a pitcher of water and he filled up the glass. Brother, the only way to remove evil thoughts is to fill your mind with God and the peace that he brings. Romans 12 and 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Brethren, our enemy is attacking and he starts with the mind. 2 Corinthians 10 and 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience in Christ. Brethren, think on these things. If you would, please turn to Ephesians 6. We'll start in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not uh, against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual weakness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench on the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication of the saints. The battle line has been drawn in the sand. Are you going to stand on the line? Will you toe that line? Will you face your enemy and proclaim the truth? The fact that you are a child of God, the one and only God, there is no other God, you will not bow down to Satan. You will not bow down to sin. There are no kingdoms that you can promise me because I have been promised a mansion. There is no sin that will stand between me and my relationship with my Heavenly Father. And brothers and sisters, that is what God expects of us. 
He expects you to fight that good fight. But you know what I find interesting? God describes this war throughout the Scriptures. Do you think that your God is naive about war? Or you think he's probably seen it all? Your God knows the struggle. Your God knows this is not an easy life that you've chosen when you decided to accept him. But I do know one thing. My God is a God of his word. We studied that not too long ago. Satan is the creator of lies. My God is the creator of promises kept. His word. And if he instructs me to do something, then whatever I'm instructed to do or not do can be done. He would not ask me to do the impossible because that would make my God a liar. And that's not the case. Will this walk be tough? Will this battle, will it seem unwinnable at times? Oh, yeah. You live long enough, you will face things that you would never have thought of, but your enemy did. That's why the only way that you can win this battle is just fill your life with God and His Word. Turn it over to God and quit trying to do this all on your own. You can't do it. You cannot come up with a way to defeat Satan on your own. I have marital problems. Put God in it. Push Satan out. Fill up your glass. I have an addiction problem. Replace that unhealthy addiction with an addiction to the Word of God. Sean, I just don't know that I'm strong enough. You probably aren't. Probably aren't. But you are a child of God. You were designed and created by the I Am, and He loves you. You don't have to be strong enough because your Almighty is. If you're here this morning and you are losing this war, you need to get back in the fight. This family here can pray for you and with you. Or perhaps you're here this morning you didn't even realize there's a war going on. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never been baptized. And you wish to do that this morning. If there be one of either class, we ask you please come forward as we stand and sing.